So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Have we lost Tom? Oh, I'm here. I think I think he's loving it. He's loving he's it. He's bored. Yeah. Okay. Just, no. just checking. No. No. You're right. I, you know, unlike you, I don't interrupt people midway through their flow. You know? No, it's just a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate to interrupt a middle-aged man like Tom Midfellow. That could be very dangerous. <laughs> I'd never know when I could start again. <laughs> Probably four o'clock in the morning. That's when it normally starts. <laughs> I'm up then too. You should text me. <laughs> we can do it together. Yes. <laughs> do a live stream. Yeah. <laughs> right. Smashing Security, episode 262, Macro Progress, Eyeball Tracking Ads, and Encryption Backdoors, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 262. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And this week on the show, Carol, we are joined by a special guest. He's returning to us from the Host Unknown podcast. It's Tom Langford. Hello, Tom. Ah, oh, Tom, welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are joining us. <laughs> Very professional. Sorry, it's a force of habit. Do you know what? We could make a doll of Tom. You know, <laughs> those pull strings on the back and he'd have like his five sentences that he says. You see, we've already been, we've got the Tom AI on the podcast that we have. So. Oh, yes, I heard so that. So when episode, I'm yes. not there, they just rack out Tom AI and press a few buttons and off he goes. Yes, that indeed. Is- <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> okay, how about we thank this week's sponsors, Collide and Barramundi. It's their support that help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? Death to macros. Okay, Tom, what about you? Oh, won't somebody think of the children? <laughs> okay, and I'm looking at improving ad engagement in a quote-unquote novel way. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, I think it's fair to say that we're all of a certain age, aren't we? No. Some of us deny it, but yeah. Yeah. Some some of us are not as old as the others. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know who's the oldest amongst uh, Tom, but... um, Um, I do. You do? Yep. (laughs) If we were to go back in time 27 years to 1995, Tom, what were you doing then? 1995, gosh, I was a field service engineer for a company in Southampton. 
as Ooh. I recall, Ooh, uh, installing AutoCAD. That's quite impressive. Crow, what were you up to? Um, I was in university, partying my butt off. Yeah, not, not studying, I imagine. Yeah, well, no, exactly. I, you know, I was very smart. Well, I was working for an antivirus company, and in 1995, in mid-1995, something extraordinary happened. The world shook, continents collided, volcanoes erupted, because Microsoft accidentally shipped on CD-ROM the first word macrovirus, a virus called Concept. And this was the first ever virus which could infect Word documents. You may think, well, what's the big deal about that? Mm -hmm. Well, what the big deal was, was that previously viruses had spread via executable code, like boot sectors or program files, which people were less likely to copy and send to each other, whereas a Word document you would share to each other. Exactly. You didn't worry about that kind of stuff. Exactly. Right. But you wouldn't be surprised if someone sent you a Word document and you'd open it and you'd get infected. And this virus called Concept, it was a very simple virus which had no purpose really other than to display a dialog box containing the number one. And inside there was a little remark which said, that's enough to prove my point. <laughs> the theory at the time was that there must have been someone who was trying to prove it was possible to write a virus using Microsoft Word and to then infect other Word documents. So that's why it was a concept virus. So do you know which what CD it was that this was shipped on? Was it like an MSDN CD or something like it that? It was on a CD-ROM called Microsoft Compatibility Test that Microsoft shipped to hundreds of corporations. Because it, it, it must have been buried deep in some folder structure somewhere for it to not have been picked up. Well, the truth was that there were no antivirus programs at the time looking for well, word macroviruses. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so even if they had scanned it, I think, as I remember, it was in some sort of distributor word document agreement. And you'd think, well, even if Microsoft did send that out, would it really get widespread? But widespread it became. It became the number one virus in the world. And it proved that a virus could actually spread around the world, potentially infecting thousands of computers in a matter of well, really, minutes. What do you mean, minutes? How? Well, because someone can send a, an email attachment containing a Word document to a lot of people who would then open it. Because yep. if they use the right social engineering, and people, remember, weren't worried about Word documents, because how can a data file infect your computer? I don't think we really even had the term social engineering in 1995, actually. Doesn't mean it didn't exist. I'm sure we did. Okay, well, wager. Maybe not in common day parlance, but I'm sure we did. Yeah. Uh -huh. And previously, viruses had taken months and months to spread around into the wild, you know, yeah. whether it be via floppy yeah, disk or... Well, you had to install them yourself, really, didn't you? Well, exactly. Because previously, if the media had said to me, what do you have to look out for for a virus, Graham? And I would have said, don't boot from an infected floppy disk and be careful what programs you run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, opening a Word document could get you as well. Now, over time, new macroviruses appeared. Melissa virus, the Wazoo virus, which switched words around in your documents. And then Excel and PowerPoint <laughs> macrovirus. No, no, no. But for the first five years or so, until about 2000, macroviruses ruled the roost. They were the most common, the easiest to write. They spread the most successfully. But crucially, they didn't make their creators any money. 
Oh, interesting. Okay. Because they couldn't hijack your computer to send out spam. They couldn't turn you into a botnet. They couldn't open a back door to your computer. The the language, the macro language, wasn't powerful to, enough to do that. So you could pop up messages. You could mess around with documents, but there wasn't really a way to make cash out of it. And so the bad guys, round about the early two thousands, began to think, well, how can we make money out of malware? And that's when they turned their back on macro viruses and started writing password stealing code and bot code and all kinds of things like that instead. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense. Yep. Right. Any rules roost. Yep. Okay. But there were still problems with malicious macro code out there. And in the late 1990s, Microsoft began to display warnings when a macro was embedded inside a document. And you may have seen this. So what would happen is you would open a Word document And you may see this little yellow strip at the top of your screen say, security warning, macros have been disabled. Click here to enable content. Yeah, of course. We all remember those. Right. And what the criminals found out was there was actually a way of getting the macro language to download further malicious code from the internet, which could do all these money-making things. And all they had to do was use social engineering to get people. What year are we now in this in this newsworthy story? <laughs> this this we're in the, we're we're getting into the two thousands now, right? Oh, we're getting into, okay, okay, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah we're right. twenty years now. So, away. Okay, so well, no, this is this is the point, Carol. This has been a problem for I'm a long listening, time. I'm listening. So the viruses, the viruses, began to be able to do malicious stuff, but they had to get you to agree to enable macros, and they did this in a variety of ways. So when you'd get the poisoned word document albeit with Microsoft having disabled the macros, it would display a screen saying, oh, this document created an earlier version of Microsoft Word, or this document is encrypted. You have to click enable macros to decrypt it Mm -hmm. for your security. So they're using all these sort of social engineering methods to get you to run the macros. security when actually it's, yeah, it's the opposite. Yeah, Exactly. So what Microsoft did to try and fix the macro virus problem didn't actually work that well, and the bad guys found a way around it until this month. (laughs) Because Microsoft have just announced one quarter of a century after it accidentally shipped the first macro virus, they've said enough is enough, and it is changing the default behavior of Office applications. So rather than saying, just click here on the yellow stripe to enable macros or enable content, yeah, which is potentially yeah. really dangerous and lots of people have been tricked into doing. Right. They're now going to display a, a red strip saying security risk. We have blocked macros from running because the source of this file is untrusted. Learn more rather than oh, enable macros. That reminds me of the Red Dwarf skit where they say, Crichton, let's go to Red Alert. He says, are you sure, sir? Because that means changing the bulb. It's like, okay, so we're going to change the colour of the strip from yellow to red. Well, changing the bulb is only one thing they've done. The other thing they've done is it doesn't say enable macros. When you click on Learn More, you're going to get taken from April to a web page on Microsoft's site which describes at some length, if you thought me talking about this was tedious, it will explain. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Is it going to be voiced over by Bill Gates? <laughs> It'll explain why you shouldn't allow macros to be enabled, and it will only let you allow them to run if you're really determined. Okay, 
Can I ask you a question, yes, you may. Mr. I'm a security expert. Thank you. What do you think of this historical progress, this evolution of Microsoft managing its macro traumas? This is quite literally Darwinian evolution. It's taken a long time. <laughs> it crawled from the primordial swamp, it climbed a tree, and it is now falling off a branch. <laughs> it's taken quite a while. Right? But, 25 years. To change but, the hue. Not just the hue. And add a learn more link. Yes, yes. And to block them by default. But you know who has stopped this evolution from happening earlier? Has been companies, and particularly finance departments, okay. who insisted on using macros in their spreadsheets. Their, yep. Yeah, to make their clever useful. pivot tables and their clever... Yeah, they're useful. This. Well, they can be useful. But the, the, pro the problem Says really... Says a person is, who doesn't work in a finance department... <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't do a pivot table to save my life. I would not. I don't know how to do. You don't even know what a pivot table is. Oh come on, really? No, oh, no, I don't. I Define can't even, what a pivot table is. If I you can't don't even... know what a pivot, it's a way of displaying data in. In. I wasn't asking you, Tom. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Tom's showing off. <laughs> Just one of it, his many skills. It should be one of those things that everybody should know by the time they're forty. Why? Why? Because it's useful. Not to me, it isn't. I've never needed one. How would Graham apply a pivot table to his life to make it better? Have you seen his personal finances? <laughs> no. <laughs> Neither has he, because he's not used a pivot table. So, so I think this is good news, albeit it's taken a while. Now, you will be able to configure it, so only if the macros have come from somewhere untrusted, like outside your organisation, or if they're not digitally signed, etc., etc., but it's an important behavioural change. And I think it's going to be much harder for a lot of the scammers and the people sending malware. And remember, sometimes ransomware is distributed in this fashion. It will yeah. start off with a Word document sometimes, which will then download something else. But they have to get you to click on that Enable Macros button. So this is this is quite good. I find this depressing. What? what depressing? Why? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't used Microsoft products for a long time, so I'm kind of talking out of my, you know... Wazoo. Wazoo. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but I just, I just find it very like 1990s solution. Feel well, this is what the, the problem I find is that most IT departments and many, many third party suppliers provide solutions to this problem and have done for the last 20 years. You know, making sure that you can't run macros unless you're explicitly mm. allowed to and all that sort of thing. And what Microsoft is doing is something they literally would have been able to do the first moment they put yeah. up the yellow warning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I, this is the, the, the problem years. I have with it. Yeah. <laughs> they've, they've been treating a symptom for far too long rather than the cause. Anyway, it will be interesting to see how this revolutionizes the uh, macro drama. I just think it's going to be a lot more effort for the cyber criminals to get around this than the old just it click will. on the enable content button. And I th that's good I think news. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's another barrier. It, whether mm. or not it's going to be sufficient by itself is another matter. But I'm sure there'll be ways to still subvert it, yeah. but it's going to make life harder for the bad guys, and we're all in favour of that. And kids... Don't forget your pivot tables. <laughs> I hate pivot tables too. <laughs> you don't even know what they are. I do. 
I used to have to do them for Graham. A, pi- a pivot table sounds like something like a sex swing. Is it a piece of furniture? Yes, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. It is, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely, absolutely right. Tom! Tom, what have you got for us this week? <laughs> well, I, I, I have something else that is also an attempt to address a symptom rather than the cause of a problem. So you may know that uh, the UK government is has been up in the ante and has been really pushing this agenda of banning end-to-end encryption and ensuring that there are backdoors into cryptography controls. Yeah, so I was going to ask, do they want to do away completely with end-to-end encryption or they just want a backdoor in that they're going to use themselves, that they'll keep very safe and no one will ever get their hands on? Well, I think the principle is that they get a backdoor into what they want. But of course, the, the problem being that when you break one set of cryptographic controls, you're ostensibly breaking them all. Yeah, because that's that's how maths works. It's rule one of cyber club. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Break one, break them all. But the thing is, there's been a huge pushback, very much so from our industry, basically saying our whole economy and life depends on strong end-to-end encryption, everything from banking to general online purchasing mm. to the way you communicate with your friends, etc., etc. And by breaking this, this is actually going to cause real problems. And it's all very well saying, well, you know, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to lose, etc. But this is in the case of benevolent governments. And one, there's plenty of malevolent governments out there that will use this against its people, but also in 10 years' time. I mean, who would have said 10 years ago that we would have had the UK government that we had today? Oh, I predicted it completely. I predicted it, yep. Well, obviously. You probably calculated it in a pivot table. The thing is, the UK government, they're really keen on things like WhatsApp, aren't they? They're always WhatsApping each other and inviting each other to their government parties. Bring your booze. Absolutely. But Mm. the point of this story is they've upped the ante. Mm. So they have got a website, and I hesitate to to advertise a website, but, you know, we need to know what's out there. But it's called noplacetohide.org.uk, which already gives you a a sense of, you know, what this is all about. And if you do click on it, you'll see that it's all focused on don't give child sex abusers a place to hide, focusing on end-to-end encryption. Now, the idea here is that this is just one part of a multi-million pound sort of a, a engagement campaign to change the public mind on end-to-end such that when the bill comes to Parliament, etc., there's going to be widespread support of it and it will just go through. Because you know, people are easily misled, etc., etc., by this sort of thing. And it, it, it doesn't look like a government website. It's you know, it looks like you know a, a, a very valid website. It's supported by many charities and all that sort of thing. The thing is, this particular website has cost the UK taxpayer, the UK Home Office, half a million pounds that went to a marketing firm, M&C Saatchi. So you can see exactly where this is going. You know, the, 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 the British government have got some kind of agenda that they want to push onto the British people, so therefore they're using experts in communication, et cetera, to push this, even though it's not necessarily, in my humble opinion and many others, in our best interests. 
Now, all of the charities that are listed on there, and there's some, you know, some valid... Oh, yeah, some legitimate charities here. Absolutely. Yeah. NSPCC, Bernardo's, yeah. the Children's Society, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et mm. All very good. They are on a steering group, an unpaid steering group for this campaign, managed by M&C Saatchi. So, mm. you, again, you can sort of see this is not just an independent steering group thinking thinking this is right. This is a steering group comprised of people who are already aligned with, you know, what the government wants. And there's stats in there, like, uh, what is it, 14 million uh, reports of suspected child sex abuse online that could be lost if we don't stop end-to-end encryption. Quite how they get that data yeah. is, is interesting <laughs> because we already have end-to-end encryption. Does that mean we are losing that many no it's saying they could now the counterpoint to this comes from a chap called alec muffet now alec muffet he is uh he's a self-described stay-at-home dad for a for a home-based startup which i think is his his family uh from linkedin but he's got a, an unsurprising background in network security he's also on the board of the open rights group and he's written a fantastic contrasting uh, piece on this which actually brings a lot of details and far more evidence rather than some kind of interpretation of a report done many many years ago uh now one of the most interesting parts i thought about this was they're focusing this on uh, protection of children etc mm. um one stat that uh, alec gives is that actually 90% of child sex abuse cases are carried out by people within the family or close to the family right. of of the abused. So the end-to-end encryption thing is not about protecting the children. You know, 90% of children are, are attacked and abused by people who are known to them. Right. The end-to-end encryption thing is not going to change that. He then goes on to make a, a variety of number of points, and he he put, puts a number of stats in there and a number of links in there to details, you know, specifically that 14 million records, et cetera, et cetera. The interesting point he makes and the most fundamental point he makes is we should be putting our focus in on the source of this, on the societal change, on the support required to stop this kind of abuse in the first place rather than putting in measures that actually are just going to punish people afterwards or send them even deeper underground. And the other point as well to this is we've already seen this playbook run out before with Mm. the war against drugs, the war against terrorism. You know, the end-to-end encryption thing has already been played out in, in both those cases. Now it's the turn of, you know, the war against against paedophiles, playing on huge emotional triggers for the general public to support this. This this just removes us as citizens, our privacy, agency, control of data in our lives. And a, a point you made earlier, uh, uh, Graham, about... Actually, frankly, the government are quite happy to use end-to-end yeah. encryption. They're using WhatsApp and you know various messenger apps to send out-of-band communications to each other. We've seen that. We've seen the. Link. And those are applications which are run by companies which are based overseas. Yes, exactly. You know, it, it's it's not. And, <laughs> and they're carrying out governmental business on these things. Well, um, I, yeah. Can I just say what yeah. bugs me here? So what bugs me on this website is there's only one mention at the very bottom of the 
of your landing page that this is a campaign funded by the UK government, right? Yep. So it's kind of burying the government endorsement of it. Yep. And on top of that, it is providing you with one single very emotive argument as to yes. doing something. It is not a balanced view on the pros and cons of this. And it feels a bit propaganda even. It's well, oh, oh, well, it is definitely is propaganda because this is aimed at your Daily Mail readers who, well, of course... I'm like, looking at it and our listeners. <laughs> but, but Yeah, but like everybody else in the country or most people in the country, we obviously, you know, abhor child abuse and we don't want child abuse to take place. Of but course. this is the wrong way of tackling it because there are yeah. so many other people who will suffer if end-to-end encryption is weakened if there are back doors, and who on earth is going to hold the keys for that? And can they be responsible? And what happens when it ends up in the hands of others? Blah, blah. I'll tell you what else annoys me about this website, though. Did you say it cost half a million quid? Yeah, £534,000 to do this website, but it's part of a large campaign. Okay, but the the website is just one page, and there's a one-minute video on it. I would happily have done this for 15000 quid. Yeah, I, I just feels like a waste of money. It's well, it's not, a single page, not, effectively, isn't it? There's, yeah, it's, it's not even. It's it's a poster. Yes, you know, and there's no meat to it. There's no evidence behind it. There's no peer-reviewed studies and real kind of well I, meat. I, I know that Alec Muffet. I mean, you've pointed to that one post of his. He's done a series of posts up on his blog where he talks yes. about the different aspects of this and, and includes links to research and evidence and. I, I think overall that's much more convincing. But, of course, he doesn't have the power of a PR firm like MC Saatchi promoting his site. Isn't this a problem? Isn't this a problem for, you know, I don't know, journalists to kind of go, uh, guys, Yeah. do you think the government should be doing this? Is this really a thing that we should be funding in order to convince people to approve our bill? Well, we know you've like, got chums in the BBC, you two. So, you know, maybe we can, um, you know, get get this amplified... Oh, yeah, because they're really popular with the government, aren't they? The BBC at the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Pretty's going to, or someone's going to cut their, their uh, who's it, who is it? Nadine um, Dorries. Oh, dear God. Nadine Nadine, Dorries. what's my password? I shout every morning, That's Dorries. That's right. That's oh, her. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> who would have predicted 10 years ago, apart from Carol, who would have predicted... <laughs> Carol, what have you got for us this week? Way back, Graham, way back in episode 68. Oh, yeah, one of my favourites, yes. I spoke about MoviePass. Uh, now, MoviePass was a company that wanted to kind of de-glue US butts from the couch and put them <laughs> into movie theatres. And it was basically a movie theater subscription service. So you paid, I don't know, 10 bucks a month. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. The service used this mobile app where registered users would check into a cinema, choose a film, showtime. You'd present your voucher, you know, da 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 Okay. And the thing was, is it was super cheap, right? Because you could have a movie a day every day for less than the price of a single movie ticket that you would pay for. Because like 10 bucks a month, movie tickets cost way more than that. So like, how would this work? Yeah, how did it work? How did they make money well, out of that? data tracking. 
So, and they even came clear, and that's what that show, episode 68, was all about, was that the CEO, the then CEO, did a talk uh, called Data is the New Oil, How Will MoviePass Monetize It? And during this keynote, he literally crowed about how much data they were currently hoovering up from their paying customers. And he said, uh, we get enormous amount of information. We watch how you drive home from the movies. We watch where you go afterwards. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. Right. But things didn't work out as planned. Because um, in 2019, September 2019, MoviePass shut down its mobile ticketing service. And its parent company soon filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy and announced that it was ceasing all business. So this is pre-Rona. Have we lost Tom? No, I'm here. I think I think he's loving it. He's loving it. He's bored. Yeah. Okay. Just, <laughs> no. just checking. <laughs> You're right. I, you know, unlike you, I don't interrupt people midway flow, through their flow. No, it's just a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the show normally. Um, I, would, I would hate to interrupt a middle-aged man like Tom mid-flow. That could be very dangerous. <laughs> I'd never know when I could start again. <laughs> Probably four o'clock in the morning. That's when it normally starts. <laughs> I'm up then too. You should text me. Yeah. We can do it together. Yes. Do a live stream. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. Right. Um, so movie pass, defunct, bankruptcy, you know, bye-bye movie pass. What a dumb idea. Well, not a dumb idea. Oh, it was a great idea. Because you, you're trading something that you have and you know you're trading it for something that you want. And it's a, it's a, it's a transparent um, business arrangement. You think most people realized how much data they were hoovering up because it was quite a little, uh, you know, a little bleep in the press at the time that they were grabbing all this data in order to keep you in where you were going. Are you suggesting people didn't read the terms and conditions and privacy policy, Carol? Yes, that is always my main point. <laughs> well, also, and if it's free, you are the product, blah, blah, blah. No, it, it isn't free. free. You were paying a tenner a month. A whole tenner a month for like 30 films. Of course. I mean, it's it might as well be free. Yeah, but it didn't work because they went bankrupt, right? So <laughs> it was good for you, but it wasn't good for MoviePass. Oh. But like a groaning, knuckle-dragging, mud-drenched zombie, MoviePass <laughs> has been raised from the dead. This past November, the original co-founder, Stacey Spikes, was approved ownership of the company by a New York bankruptcy court judge. And just a few days ago, this new CEO explained how it was going to change the movie business. All right. And our question is, is this a win-win for everyone? Obviously, this is going to be interesting. Tom, I look forward to your opinion on mm -hmm. this. So just as a quick aside, though, okay, so the movie business obviously took a serious hit during the pandemic. In 2021, I think ticket sales hit 4.4 billion. And this is double from 2020 when the cinemas were all shut. But it's still way low compared to 2019. Yeah, but the streaming services made a fortune though, didn't they? The streaming service made a fortune. Exactly. Not the cinema going, right? Mm. So Stacy Spike's solution here was revealed at this launch uh, this past week um, that MoviePass will now be a subscription system that incorporates virtual credits that can be spent on movie tickets. Okay. okay so you still have a fee to pay. It's still, it's still a subscription service. You're paying whatever it is a month. They haven't said what price yet. But there's a kind of built-in app reward system. And there's tiered plans, et cetera, et cetera. But using Web3, using some blockchain tech, 
MoviePass will also allow members to trade and transfer these credits. The idea is that they want to be tied to just one movie theater. They want to be like ubiquitous across the entire industry. So customers, theater studios will be able to trade and everything, like even NFTs. We're gonna, I'm not even going into the NFT world in here, so ignore all that. But Now, this is the thing that has everyone's knickers in a twist. MoviePass will also incorporate another feature enabled by Web3 Tech that allows users to pick up extra credit if they watch advertisements. Adverts at, adverts at the cinema. Okay. Between us, us three. <laughs> hi, hi, huddle. Cuddle. It's hi. unclear to me if this is actually a movie theater experience or a home streaming service. So oh. I've been having, I've read a number of articles on this and I am unclear. I think it's all going to be done on the phone. It would have to be for, for the eye tracking, right? Yeah. Exactly. But I'm, I was a little concerned that the Ad stuff would happen on the phone. You could do that as an extra, but also go to the theater. I'm just not sure. So I think it's a big phone service. Okay. So when I say, like, watch advertisements, I don't mean play advertising, right? I don't mean like, oh, the ad's coming and you go make a cup of tea. I mean, you have to watch it with your actual eyeballs. And they will monitor this with very clever tech to track your eyeballs. If you look away, the ad will pause. Now. If you have a glass eye, could you take it out and put it on a stick? <laughs> like Columbo. <laughs> and then go and make a cup of tea. Couldn't you do that and with it- eyeballs, those ping pong balls and a bit of paint? I'm a, I'm a good artist. I could probably, you know, start a new business. Come on, this is Web 3. I think it's a little bit more complicated than that, Carol. But <laughs> Could you not? I mean, I was thinking along similar lines. I was thinking, surely someone is going to come up with an app which simulates eyes watching something. <laughs> or a video, yeah, you record your face on a loop. Yeah. yeah, you have one phone which is playing a video and you shove your other phone in front of it Yeah, and you just make money. <laughs> Doesn't that work? You could have deep fakes of yourself watching, just sitting there paying attention and blinking occasionally. Yes. Um, now, of course, the ads, because they're being played on your phone, are specifically tailored to you. So of huge interest to you, Tom, right? They'll all be about, you know, Lego and stuff. <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> you know me so well, Carol. It's, it's, it's like you're peering into my very soul with that statement. So there we are at Tom's funeral. Carol's been asked to give a speech about... <laughs> Oh, Tom was a fascinating chap. He was into Lego. Yeah. And stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Now, obviously, we can see why this is interesting to MoviePass. It's an interesting pitch because I can see them now going, hey, ad guys, I can guarantee eyeballs, like eyeballs happening and watching your ads. So I'm going to ask for a higher, you know, higher Wonga price for those to place those ads. Plus, the, we're, not, we're unclear at the stage how the app will actually track you. So if it has the same tracking behavior as the previous MoviePass technology, 
Also, what are they doing with all the facial recognition tech and, and images? Are they only doing that whilst the ads are playing or during the movie as well? Carol, I don't think they even care about the facial recognition because they want to say to the advertisers, oh, yeah, it really worked well. We had an amazing, you know. No, sure, sure, sure. But if they were, if they were I'm just saying, if they're, you know, corporate whores, they're going to be, hey, and we can also collect all this data because you never know, might be useful one day. As long as it's very clear up front that this is what they're doing and this is how they're handling your data and what they're going to sell and what they're not going to sell and all that sort of thing. If people want to go for this, then great. It reminds me of that Black Mirror episode where you're on an exercise bike and you have to cycle and exercise in order to earn points to live and you go up the go up the social scale and things like that. Mm. It's the same principle as that. You actually... You got to move your eyes backwards and forwards over a over a, 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 a an advert of some description in order to earn credits, in order to, to to get free stuff. Now, if that's the best way, or the easiest way, or the cheapest way that you can get access to the media that you want, then so be it. Go in there with your <laughs> eyes open. Uh, don't close them because otherwise you won't get anything. But go in there with your eyes open and um, you know reap the benefits. For me personally, I, I I wouldn't do it because I can't bear adverts like that. What like- you, you you can't bear an advert watching you watch it? <laughs> That's right. Oh, because well, I, I, you I just mean, basically I, I, said, "Hey, dudes, you think this is a good idea? Go do it." No, I didn't say that. I said I wouldn't do it. I just, no, I know you said that, but you're telling other people. Hey, you know. I know. I'm saying as long as you are aware that this is what you're doing. My risk model is not their risk model. Mm, it's very sure. different. My risk model is. Actually, I'd rather pay for a service that gives me this without adverts rather than not pay for it. But they may either not wish to pay for it or not be able to pay for it. Oh, they're still paying. They're still paying. They're just getting extra credits that they can use within the MoviePass environment, right? You are getting paid for it. You are getting stuff Mm. ostensibly for free, right? And, you know, the algorithm, the ad algorithm will never get it wrong anyway, right? They're never going to show alcoholics, people clinking glasses of Chablis or showing, you know, a fast food (laughs) ad to someone trying to, you know, eat more healthily. No, exactly. Exactly. And and this targeted ad thing has never really worked, let's face it. It's like... You know, you go on online and you order a mattress, something you're supposed to buy every, what, seven years, I think it is. And then for the next sort of six months, all you get is adverts <laughs> for mattresses. My my hope, though, what would be what would make me feel a little bit better about all this, even though I don't like the model, is if they had a bounty program to get the best techies out there to hammer the system to expose any holes before customers are lured into using this service. That would be... You mean they're not doing that already? Well, (laughs) are you surprised? (laughs) One would hope that they make this rock solid, because otherwise you're going to get Pretty Patel and Nadine Dorries onto them. (laughs) (laughs) So when I was researching this, right, of course, the freaking Daily Mail covered the story. Now, I didn't really take any tidbits from them in the story I've done, but I did look at the commentators and there was one that I thought I would share with us all. You went into the Daily Mail comment section. That's a bold decision. I know. I did it with like my eyes squished, so I couldn't read everything. And took a shower afterwards. It was fuzzy. Yeah. So this, uh, this had to comment, that's the name, wrote... 
I've never paid to watch a movie, nor bought music or attended concerts. Why? I refuse to fund alcohol and drug addictions of today's so-called celebs and stars, or contribute towards their rehab and their divorces, or towards their excessive spending habits, such as the shoes and clothes they wear once, the many cars they rarely ever drive, and the many homes they buy that they never live in. I can't justify any of that when there are so many people in this world with nothing. That's why I've never paid, and it's for those same reasons that I never will. So, you know, the world's fine. That's why I visit the Daily Mail website and regularly go down the sidebar of shame to read about <laughs> Kim Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, if that was a comment from, I don't know, socialist worker or, or hippies are us, I, you know, yeah, maybe yeah, they don't have a yeah. TV and a radio or anything like that and they just knit their own yoghurt and play their own songs or something, but... Given it's on the Daily Mail, on a website, I'm thinking that person has got a TV and probably a Netflix subscription and probably listens to a lot of music either on the radio or or downloaded illegally from the internet. So, (laughs) now I need a shout. Come on, it's funny. (laughs) It is funny. Very funny. In a a very depressing way. Although it's probably just a Russian troll, let's face it. Barramundi offer unified endpoint management from a single platform. Think of it as an all-in-one solution, consolidated endpoint management under a single interface. For example, with Barramundi Jobs, you can control and monitor all tasks in the management suite, including software deployment, automation, and operating system installation. Barramundi also offer vulnerability detection and patch management, so your RAID deploy updates and patches from Microsoft and third-party applications. And you can centrally manage any number of devices, no matter where they're located. And that means you can distribute all the necessary updates to smartphones, tablets, notebooks. Excited to check it out? Well, we don't blame you. Our pals at Barramundi are offering Smashing Security listeners a 30-day full version free trial. Check it out at barramundi.com forward slash smashing. That's barramundi.com forward slash smashing. Collide sends employees important, timely and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organisations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. So instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Sign up today by visiting smashingsecurity.com slash collide. That's smashingsecurity.com slash K-O-L. I-D-E. Enter your email when prompted and you will receive a free Collide goodie bag after your trial activates. You can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days, no credit card required. Try it out at smashingsecurity.com slash Collide. That's smashingsecurity.com slash K-O-L-I-D-E. And thanks to Collide for supporting the show. And welcome back. And you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses saying like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. 
whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my pick of the week this week is technological. Now, Tom, I know you love a good gadget. Let me explain to you a problem we've been having behind the scenes at Smashing Security. Because ever since, uh, probably about, I don't know, 18 months ago when I went to live in the middle of a sheep farm without a proper internet connection, we've had a slight challenge recording the show. Mm -hmm. I don't have broadband down a wire. I've been on 4G LTE. I've had antennas outside my house and it's been up. It's been down. It's been problematical. Did did you replace the printer that your antenna was sat on? Because that may well have been blocking some of the signal. You it, know, was, it was it was like a tower, leaning tower of Pisa um, to try and get my antenna as high a as possible. A leaning tower of Canon, more like. <laughs> well, um, Carol, you've handled the situation very well. You've barely mentioned to me that. With, yeah. So I did some research uh, into alternatives. Are there any alternatives at all? And I was chatting with friend of the show, Professor Alan Woodward, and yeah, and with the speed of Microsoft dealing with the macro problem, I Graham. have now <laughs> invested in a solution which I hope is going to work. I'm speaking to you right now via a low Earth orbit satellite. Is that basically the equivalent of getting the string wet between the two cans? It, it is. We've we've got. Don't, we, there are no toucans involved. Um, <laughs> pigeons, maybe. I have got a Starlink dish in my back garden. Oh. Which is beaming up to a satellite and then beam that's then beaming down to earth somewhere which has an internet connection. Which tech juggernaut gets uh gets the cash for that purchase? This is the slight problem because it is of course part of Elon Musk's <laughs> empire. Do you not like Elon then? No. Why not? I mean, not that I particularly... He's more popular than Graham, so, you know. (laughs) He got his blue tick before Graham did. He just seems a bit of a twat. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, he makes great tech. Most visionaries and entrepreneurs are. Well, possibly they are, but he seems particularly weird. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not a fan either. How much did it set you back, Lou? It's quite expensive. Dish itself, it's a little rectangular dish that costs, I think it's about four hundred ninety nine pounds. And my broadband bill, as it is, uh, will be eighty nine pounds per month. Wowza! So it's quite a lot of money, but it is designed for people who can't get a reliable internet connection any other way. I'm getting well. I've had up to three hundred megabits per second down, which is brilliant. And That's I've had fiber up, speed. Yeah, yeah. And I've had up to like 30 or 40 going up. My ping is low and I haven't had any outages. And it's it's going really, really well. It's very, the very ping's clever. ping's low-ish. It's 39, isn't it? Oh, it's, yeah, it varies. It, it changes. So it's I've seen it between about 20 and 40. But I do see from the images that are in the show notes, I do see that by paying for Starlink has meant you couldn't upgrade your phone. Why? Why is that? Because you've got an iPhone SE from 2020. Why is well, an iPhone else? Well, an iPhone SE is the best iPhone there is. No, it isn't. Yes, what it are you is. Talking about no, the it's, XR it's by, was. No, it's uh, the iPhone SE is the best phone Apple's ever made. Why is that? Because it's a sensible size, rather than being like a clown shoe. 
or having <laughs> stupid cameras sticking out the back, which you don't need. This is from a man with very small hands. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't, I don't like all those big, stupid... I mean, I don't need a camera. F- you know, stop giving me a better, better camera. I don't need a better camera. I just, Why do you not need a better camera? Why pictures. would I need a better camera for? To take better photos. Of what? Stuff. Well, I don't, Family. I, I don't friends. Need, I don't need gajillion megapixels. It's, it's, unre- it's not required. It's good enough. Your, your, your future descendants will not thank you as they look at the equivalent of a... Like five hundred k gif of your photos. They don't want to see the, all the plaque on my teeth or the hair coming out of my nostrils. Or the, you know, they, they don't need details like that. Graham, stop biting. Stop biting. It's fine. Oh, you're it's right. Fine. Don't you're feed totally the troll. Fine. Exactly. So don't there it is. The that is my pick of the week so far. I'm very, very happy of it. Go and investigate it yourself, Starlink. Hallelujah, I say. You know, in a blink of an eye, you sort of the problem. <laughs> Very good. I'm 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 really impressed by this. Although I did see that uh, a whole bunch of his Starlink satellites came crashing down to Earth the other day after a geomagnetic storm. They did, didn't they? Yeah. Don't worry. Your your four hundred bucks, <laughs> your four hundred bucks will help uh, fix that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Tom, what's your pick of the week? So my pick of the week is. Well, something that many people may describe as a guilty pleasure, but actually, frankly, I don't feel guilty about it. Uh oh. This was yeah, it's not that kind of guilty pleasure. And I was reminded of it, uh, or rather it was front of mind, because unfortunately the other day I had to go to a funeral of my second cousin. Oh. And I was chatting to his brother, and we were reminiscing about our times when we were like, you know, well, when I was about eight or nine and they were sort of like early teens. And these two got me into a number of things. So, for instance, Pink Floyd. They introduced oh. me to Pink Floyd on vinyl, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Um, they also introduced me to a fairly new comic. We're talking like, like late 70s here. New comic called 2000 AD. Hmm. And this year is its 45th anniversary Amazing. of 2000 AD. These guys had... Um, uh, well, they call it progs for program because it was all sci-fi, but prog one, two, and three, they had that those three progs three times over. Now, those three... three Sorry, um, wait, hang on a minute. What, what are you talking about? You're talking about... Pro- what, what is a prog? Oh, a comic. Yeah, comic. So one, one, episode, one, one sort of comic. So they had progs one, two, and three, and they had those three times over. Now, those three comics... In reasonable condition, not even mint condition, today are worth about three, four thousand pounds. Wow. Um, very, very good. The thing, you know, why am I talking about this? Well, I still read this comic today. Uh. Uh, but it has launched many, many careers and has supported many, many careers. And I've got some examples here. So have you watched 300, the film 300? No. No. Great. Have you watched <laughs> V for Vendetta? No. No. What? Have you watched Watchmen? No. no. Oh, my God. Have you watched uh, The Boys on Amazon? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Have you watched Kick-Ass? Yes. No. Um, have you watched Wanted? No. Don't know. Okay. What about, have you heard of Judge Dredd? Yes. yes. Uh, there you go. Okay. All of this Adrian! Stuff, Adrian! <laughs> we don't talk about that Judge Dredd. 
So Alan Moore was the writer for of 300 V for Vendetta Watchmen. Watchmen is in the Times top 100 books to read before you die. The only graphic novel in that top 100 list. Well, that's why I haven't read it. Well, exactly, because you, you haven't died yet. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in no but rush. But it also was turned into a, a big film by Zack Snyder and a TV series uh, uh, as well as that. Um, Dave Gibbons was artist for that. Garth Ennis, the writer of The Boys. Mark Miller, who wrote It Wanted, Kick-Ass, Jupiter's Legacy. Super Crooks, which is on Netflix now, is a very good show. Um, Judge Dredd was a character that was created and drawn by Carlos Esquera um, and Strontium Dog. That was a character that was, frankly, murdered by Sylvester Stallone, uh, was immortalised by Carl Urban in, in Dread, and is soon to be a Netflix series called Mega City One. Oh, cool. Uh, Rogue Trooper, another character, <laughs> soon to be directed uh, in film form by Duncan Jones. Duncan Jones is, uh, or what, is David Bowie's son, and he's the director of Moon, mm. Mute, Source Code, World of Warcraft. So very, very talented, very forward-looking uh, director, all of these people and all these characters were were effectively springboarded into today's um, well media content that we consume. But you've watched stuff like this that has been written or heavily influenced by these people. Yeah, yeah. Batman stuff, anything, any, you know, anything that's got any kind of well action to it is inspired by a lot of these people. And if you'd like to know more about this, there's a documentary called Future Shock, the story of 2000 AD. There's a link in the show notes. Thoroughly recommend it. It's fascinating because it's also a socio-political reflection because what the comic does is um, it, it really does hold up a mirror to society at the time. So, you know, it's... And not only is it you know forward looking and ahead of its time, it's topical, it's satirical, it's dark, it's humorous, it's playful, it's hard hitting. <laughs> so I've never read two thousand and eight, two thousand eighty, but I do know about some of these things, and I, I do know it's very highly regarded, and it is meant to be very good. It's just never been my particular bag, but uh... no, absolutely not. But if you if you uh, what they also have is. Um, they, the Rebellion, who owned 2000 AD, they also have a Treasury of British Comics group. They do. Bringing back a lot of the old school comics that kind of went out of out of uh, print. So Scream, Misty, The 13th Floor. The Trigon um, Empire. They Trigon Empire. That, which I, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I, I always call them Trigon. Are you sure it's Trigon? That's triggered from Look and Learn, right? That's right. It's an old yeah. pick of the week of mine. And I think Rebellion are based in Oxford. Yes. So there you are, another link to Smashing yeah. Security. So, yeah, there you go. But check it out. 2000 AD, there's an app. You can get weekly comics and a monthly Judge Dread and lots of stories, lots of books you can buy online. Uh, <laughs> watch the film. Strongly suggest it. I don't get paid for any of these endorsements. No, you obviously love it. See, that's why it's great having guests on with their own pick of the weeks, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's great. It's fantastic. It's great. Let's see how if you can match it, Crow, with your pick of the week. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, my pick of the week. So this past weekend, I was at a mini family event hmm. in a kind of, I don't know what you call it, like a manor house. Oh, la right? Yeah, I know. A bit la-di-da, exactly. 
Were you upstairs or downstairs? Just asking. <laughs> bit, bit personal. <laughs> no idea what that even means. <laughs> and um, and uh, the house has been in the family for generations, and there was loads of evidence, like, you know, with, like, art, everything, everything, furniture, everything. So it got me to thinking about, like, how dinner parties would have been held in this house. And then I was thinking, oh, I wonder what etiquette was, hmm. you know, at the time. So I found this good housekeeping article from a few years ago and it lists like a hundred or so expected behaviors that today may or may not fly so uh i think that the link is in the show notes if you guys want to take a look and it's just like a slide on one of those irritating Ooh, yeah. slideshow oh. things i'm looking right now ladies you should smile when talking on the telephone <laughs> no <laughs> there was one shake hands at elbow level so, like, make oh. sure your hands at a right a right angle when you shake. A host always serves the meat. <laughs> Please, what kind of party are you at? See, I learned from from <laughs> from these places. The you know the the posh places you have people serving you. The really posh places you have a butler who brings around the food and you serve yourself, which is kind of a little bit back to front. It's funny, yeah. So the posher the place. You'll serve yourself from the butler. There's this one from the 60s that says, avoid dead fish hands. <laughs> what does that mean? Fish don't have hands. What's that mean? In the 50s and 60s, there were a lot of do's and don'ts for a woman to follow, including how to position her arms. This instructional guide, a woman is advised not to let her hands hang straight to her sides as it detracts from her silhouette. Just... There's one, rep refrain from impure thoughts, especially if pregnant. <laughs> Was a bit late. Men should enter dark rooms first. <laughs> it's, right? That's, that's slightly sinister. What's that about? Well, it's protecting the ladies. Oh, I see. It? I like always have a cigarette on hand. <laughs> that's it. That's aged a bit, huh? Don't cough into your right hand. Is that because that's the one you wipe your bum with? No. What? Oh, please. Okay, I think we should call Don't you have name. a swan for that purpose? That's what you use a swan snake for. <laughs> uh, with the toilet paper I've got, it's more like swan vesta. <laughs> um, if you, link in the show notes, good housekeeping article. If you want to read about uh, wacky, uh, I don't know, what is it? Do's and don'ts. Very handy. Very handy. Well, that just about wraps up the show for this week. Tom, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. What's the best way for folks to do that? Uh, you can catch me uh, on Twitter at Tom Langford. That's Tom with an H, because they would let me have the H. Uh, I'm also at TomLangford.com. And you can also catch uh, the other best InfoSec podcast, Host Unknown, at uh, HostUnknown.tv. Fantastic. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity, no G. Twitter and last have a G. And we also have a Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast app. And of course, shiny shout out to our episode sponsors, Collide and Baramundi, and to our wonderful Patreon supporters. Thanks to you, all of you. This show is free for episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest lists, and the entire back catalogue of more than 261 episodes. Check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye.
short and sweet this week. Was it? Short and sweet? Been going for an hour. <laughs> oh, oh, sarcasm, right. Well, who talked forever? Not me. What, 25 years, I think it was, wasn't it? In, in yeah, in 1993. <laughs> did, have you ever heard of a macro, Tom, Carol? Well, let me tell you what a macro did. 